All right, so why don't you grab your Bible? We are in part nine of our Connecting to Church series, and I entitled today's message, Beautifully Organized. I'm going to draw your attention to your own design, fill in the blank, and give you some notes here with just a couple thoughts. I want to begin like this. We need to stop equating difference in people with difference in value. Let me say that again. We need to stop equating difference in people with difference in value. For example, let's go to the obvious. Male, female. The Bible says that God made them in his image. Male and female, he created them. And yet in our society, we are still wrestling through issues of inequality, even just in terms of payment for the same job for females that males do. There is still this wrestling because somehow we have have it in our minds, some of us in the society, that difference means difference in value. I don't believe that that is the case. In the same way, throughout this season, we have had it uh, brought up time and time and time again, and rightfully and beautifully so, the value and power of diversity of ethnicity. Latinos are not the same as African Americans, who are not the same as Asian Americans, who are not the same as Caucasian Americans, and there is difference and difference and difference, and it's beautiful, and there is equality. There has to be equality. We cannot continue to fight for equality. It should be an assumed that I know we're not the same, but we are equal. That is how it should be. Think about in recent days how it's been tested, the different flavors of churches out there, that some are focused on discipleship and some focused on evangelism and some are focused on worship and some are focused on social activism and some are focused on just being that gentle voice of compassion. With all those different flavors of churches, we keep saying that though they are, that because they are different, then one has more value than the other, and that is absolutely incorrect. At what point is our wisdom going to kick in and tell us that none of us knows how it all works out? None of us knows how church is perfectly supposed to be run. And in the meantime, we trust that God knows what's going on, and he has the bigger picture, and he is using diversity in all different ways to bring about his glory. If you are taking notes, I want you to write this down. I have it as a fill in a blank on my sheet here. You just write it down as notes. We are equal, but not the same. We are equal, but not the same. There is a beauty in that diversity, but it does not change the equality. Equality does not mean sameness, and God is not interested in conformity as much as unity. Can't seem to shake that calling from God in this season of our lives that we must be unified, that we must draw together for strength and for power. All right, 
This subject that I'm talking about right now is key to understanding how the body of Christ works. Why is this so personal to me? Because all of my ministry, I have been challenged by people that have a certain viewpoint of how church should be done or how ministry should be done or how life should be done. And when I'm not as passionate about their particular viewpoint as they are, they get really, really upset as if I've done it wrong. Let me give you an example about how ministry has gone for me over the years. Evangelists tell me that I don't do enough altar calls. Disciplers tell me that I don't train strategically enough. Anti-abortion champions tell me that I don't talk enough about the murder of the unborn. The frontline urban workers think that I lack compassion for humanity. The prophetic don't think I go hard enough. The shepherds think I go too hard. The charismatics don't think I operate in the spirit enough. The conservatives think that I, t- I walk in the weird too much. The social activists think I avoid issues, but the theologians think I talk too much about issues, right? So it doesn't matter, no matter what. But here's the point. If I could do it all myself, what does God need you here for? If I can do it all myself, if somebody else can do what you do, then you're redundant. If I could do it all, why does God have you here? Is it possible, listen to me carefully, is it possible that your spirit burns for the homeless because that's a mantle that God placed on your shoulders? Is it possible that the holy fire you feel for politics is a drawing of you to engage on behalf of the kingdom of God? Is it possible that while you are winning brand new souls, I'm trying to raise up the babies you just brought me? Is it possible that you need to spend three hours a day listening to the Lord and discerning his voice so you can share it with me and I can use my gifts to proclaim it? Listen to me carefully. When the Holy Spirit puts a mantle on your shoulders, no one else seems like they're doing it right. When the Holy Spirit puts a mantle on your shoulders, no one will carry your level of passion for it. When the Holy Spirit puts a mantle on your shoulders, no one else will wow you with their effort. Why? Because it's your fashion, your, excuse me, it's your passion, the fire in your heart, the prick in your spirit that is catalyzing you to do something. When the Holy Spirit zeroes you in on a spiritual injustice, it's hard to see the world any other way. You get tunnel vision for it, and that's on purpose. When the Holy Spirit zeroes you in on a spiritual injustice, it is not to make you critically blame all the other losers that don't do it like you do it. Isn't that how it feels sometimes, right? It's to make sure that you don't pawn it off on anybody else and that you do what you're called to do. It keeps your fire raging. So be careful that we do not judge other people that are different than us because we are matching it up against our calling, our design, our passion, our zeal. 
You see, I would love to be all things to everybody and do the maximum for the kingdom of God, but even Jesus needed John the Baptist and Paul the Apostle to balance out the ministry. Now, I'm not telling you this for sympathy. Oh, woe is Pastor Lance, he's getting beat up. Quite frankly, right now, it just is what it is, and I'm talking about all my ministry, I've heard these different things. This is not for sympathy, it's merely to point out that God has spread out the pain of this world onto the shoulders of all of his children so the few don't crack under the pressure. It's to point out that your talents, your natural gifting makes you uniquely designed to meet a need that I cannot. It's to tell you that your personality equips you to carry a load that I can't. It's to tell you that your spiritual gifting lifts up a part of the kingdom of God that I can't carry. It's to show you that your sphere of influence is just that. It's yours. It's your mission field. If I'm salty enough to flavor the whole meal, then what's your salt for? If I'm bright enough to light the whole neighborhood, then why do you have batteries? And too often... We look out around us and we say, why isn't something, someone doing more? You're probably the more. And sometimes we need to just begin to own the confidence and the calling and the whispers and the gifts that God has given us. And as opposed to worrying about what someone else is doing, maybe we just need to settle into our identity and begin to live like God designed us to live because you're important and you're so valuable. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's jump into this passage. We're gonna be reading out of Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. Make sure you look at this in your Bible because there's a little bit of a weird part at the beginning and then it gets super clear. So here we go. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. Let me read the whole thing through and we'll go back and tear it apart. But grace was given to each of us, meaning Christians, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and it quotes Psalm 68, right? Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men, end quote. Now, this is where Paul in verse nine says, and to point out, when we read this, let me explain what the ascended means. In saying he ascended, Paul says in parentheses, verse 9, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended and went down is the one who also ascended and went up far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. But speaking of gifts, verse 11... He gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. All right, we're gonna talk about spiritual gifting and calling and anointing. So I wanna talk a little bit about that. These particular five gifts callings and offices are more specific for leadership callings. So you may go through this message and go, well, I don't know if those are particularly my gifts. I don't know if I have one of those five callings on my life. And that's okay. Because as a matter of fact, 
Not everybody's going to have these. There's an entire other list in scripture that is for the general congregation that's not leadership specific in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. You're gonna read through that and bing, 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 all these lights may go on and you're gonna go, wow, that's more talking about me. But this is important to understand that some of us have been called and gifted in these five areas as foundation to the building of the church. Paul needed us to know that in order to understand how the body works together. But because we're talking about spiritual gifts and it might apply to you right now, I wanna clarify what they are and what they're not. So let's talk about that for a moment. How gifts work is this. There is a common experience of all Christians, because they have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that we get a chance to do all sorts of cool stuff. We may not be uniquely or specifically gifted in something, but just by the sheer fact that God dwells in us, we get to participate in some of the craziest things. We may not be gifted in the areas that we like. Let's say, for example, we may not be gifted in the areas of preaching and teaching, but you know what? God and through the power of the Holy Spirit can move through your mouth and you can share things you never even thought were possible and they can have massive impact on other people. Why? Because God is with us. You don't have to have the gift just in order to have the experience of it. What a gift means is that God gets to use you as the point person for that particular issue and it comes easy to you. All the rest of us still got to engage with it. We just got to work harder than you do. That's what a gift is. And then remember that a gift is a gift. That sounds like a stupid statement. I understand that. A gift is a gift. One thing that we need to realize is it's not a reward for hard work. There are rewards for hard work, but a gift is a gift. In other words, you don't go, well, if I was only a better Christian, then God would give me more spiritual gifts. That would actually be a reward. You're allowed to ask for them, but they're still a gift. Another thing, no gift comes with an instruction manual or automatic maturity. Just because we are gifted in something doesn't mean we automatically know how to use it or use it wisely. Too often we'll look for somebody in the church and we'll find out they're anointed and gifted and we have way more confidence in them than we should. Why? Because gifting in one area doesn't mean gifting in every other area. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's very tempting once somebody has a leadership gift that they think now they can do everything perfect. But do you understand that we need the body of Christ? All of us need to come together. The church is run by the body. It is run by the people, right? It's not just a one-hit wonder out there who has all the gifts and one person can do it all. You are necessary and valuable regardless of what gifts God has given you. Here's the other thing. Spiritual gifts are almost always given for the community benefit, meaning they only make sense when we're together. You use your gift to bless us. I use my gift to bless you. And together we build one another up and we are more victorious. You understand why disunity is such a problem? It pulls apart our ability to be all that God designed us to be. 
And then finally on gifts, although everyone gets one, not everybody gets the same one and we don't all get them in the same degree or the same level of intensity. That is decided by the Holy Spirit based on what he's trying to accomplish in the moment, right? All right, now we set all that tone, let's go back into scripture and we will be able to focus one by one, find out what God's talking about. Go ahead and go back into your Bibles, Ephesians 4, 7. Let's do that one. Ephesians 4, 7 says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What does that mean? It means we all got something special and it came from Jesus. But notice that it said that it was grace. He didn't have to give us anything. He didn't have to be as sweet as he is. He doesn't have to move powerful as he is. He doesn't have to be near to us as he is. But he wants to be. That's the kindness of God and the grace. He's not obligated to do any of that. But he loves you and I so much that he's personally involved in our lives. And he equips us for victory. Amen? Amen. So this means God gave all of us a piece to the puzzle so that he might carry out his work in this world. That means, listen to me very carefully, every believer is critical to the fulfillment of Christ in this world. There is no redundancy. There is no doubling up that would make someone unnecessary. You are unique, and what God does through you is unique, and if you aren't doing it, we aren't having it, and we are having less. Everybody is in this process, and everyone is equipped and everyone is gifted to participate. You say, well, I'm more shy or I'm more this personality. I think that that is a beautiful uniqueness in you that we desperately need. All right, let's go to verse eight through 10. This is where it gets a little bit strange. Let's take a look at that. It says this, therefore it says, and he quotes Psalm 68, 18, quote, when he ascended, speaking of the Messiah going up somewhere, he ascended on high and led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. It's not quite what it says, but that's how Paul the apostle quoted it. So in verse nine, he explains himself. He said, hey, this whole Messiah going down and then going back up again, let me explain what it means. He said, when it says that he ascended, when it says that he rises up above the heavens, obviously he also had to go down first and descend down into the earth. He who descended is the one who has ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. All right, let's cut to the chase. What's he talking about? Well, there's two ways this has been interpreted throughout history. I'll give you two quick options. Number one, is he talking about the incarnation, God becoming man, in a Philippians kind of way, meaning, Jesus Christ, who was equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be hung on to, but he emptied himself and came down and became a little baby, lived a human life and died on the cross, a death of humiliation for us. Does that what it means? Is it talking about the fact that King Jesus left all that glory and came down and rescued us on the cross? Is that what it's talking about? It could be. 
But there's another way it's been interpreted throughout history. And this is kind of in a 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22 way. What do I mean? That Jesus Christ died on the cross and after the cross, the Bible says that he descended down in to proclaim victory to all those that had died prior that got to hear about his cleansing of their sins once and for all and he led them up into the presence of the Father. Is that what it's talking about? What well, could be? So which one is it? Does it matter? Actually, no, it doesn't. Why? Both of those are true. But here's the point that Paul is making. Here we go. Listen to this. And because it matters for right now, today, your life. Ready? God is victorious. That he went down to do what he needed to do. He did it perfectly and then went right back up to heaven to reign. He was in control, is in control, and will continue to be in control. And from that place of absolute control, he doles out resources to his people for victory from his overflow. If you need to be encouraged today, maybe that's that word for you, that God is in control. It doesn't matter what comes down the news cycle next. God is still on the throne and he can handle anything that this world throws at him because he's actually the one being able to orchestrate and navigate it. You and I as children of God are safely in his sights and that means he will equip us and help us through no matter what comes our way. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's go on in the verse. We're going to go to verse 11. Here we go. Verse 11. And he gave to the church apostles. What's an apostle? Well, the word apostolos in Greek actually just means the one sent out. What does that mean? It means an official representative charged with a commission. In other words, when Jesus had all of his disciples around him, and it's funny, we always say uh, the wrong thing. We always say Jesus had 12 disciples. That is incorrect. He did not have 12 disciples. He had a whole bunch of disciples. But he grabbed all of his disciples together, and out of them, he selected 12 and designated them apostles. Here's what he meant. Hey guys, out of everybody following me, I'm gonna pull out 12, apprentice them, and make them the leadership that I will hand the ministry off to and they will carry on after me. That's what an apostle is. Now, it means then sent out with authority. So let's talk about this for a second. The original 12... In my opinion, I think the Bible is clear, they were the top authority of the church through which God revealed his perfect will to run the church. They were human beings, but they were specially anointed, gifted, called, and empowered. And you go, okay, well, that's cool. There was only 12 of them, right? Well, hold up. One was the betrayer, Judas, got replaced by Matthias. Then Paul messed up everything. Why? Because he called himself an apostle on the same level as the other 12. 
As a matter of fact, he said, I was personally bodily called by Jesus Christ, anointed with supernatural power and commission to go out and do the work of the Lord. Later on, we find out in scripture, James, the brother of Jesus, was called an apostle. Barnabas was called an apostle. So this term of apostle gets very elastic. Are there apostles today? A super hotly debated issue. Are there apostles today? Well, you've got one camp all the way on one hyper side, and they say, nope, there's none of that anymore. All it is is a church planner leadership gift. The opposite side of the pendulum says, not only is there apostles today, they're equal to, if not bigger and badder than the original 12. So what's the truth? Well, you might be shocked and surprised to know that I'm going to tell you that there's a radical middle. Shocker, right? Here's what I think. As a matter of fact, I believe that the title of apostle and the office of apostle may well be for today. I'm just so hesitant to use it because of the fear of abuse and miscommunication about it. I absolutely believe in the gifting and the anointing in an apostolic way. I'm just hesitant on title and office, even though it may well be true. Now, in any gift like this or any gift like the other ones listed in 1 Corinthians 12, there is a normal experience of being a believer and there's natural gifting that is given to human beings and design and personality that fits more naturally into some of these callings. For example, there are certain people that God built by human design to lean more into an apostolic way. If apostolic means authority, leadership, and sent out, then what would they look like just being built by God? I would suggest that if you lean an apostolic way, it is very possible that you are a natural leader. It is very possible that you're a person that has fresh vision all the time. It's very possible that you're a pioneer and willing to break new ground. That is very true. But if you are supernaturally gifted and anointed for leadership, then you don't just lead regular stuff, you lead supernatural movements. You know the heart of God in a special way and you are constantly being commissioned by him to lead the charge into difficult situations. If you are operating in that way, it is likely that you are gifted in an apostolic fashion. But whether you have the gift or not, listen to this. Just by being a Christian, you and I, when we were rescued and saved and our light was turned on from the inside out, we were given a new identity as sons and daughters of God. And what that means is we now have power and authority and a commission from God. We don't need a special gifting to know that we can hold our head up high and be confident as we walk out into the world and change it for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, what's the next one? Let's go there. And he gave to the church prophets. What's a prophet? It's someone that talks for God. And God has a lot to say. Sometimes God talks about today. Sometimes God talks about the future. If you talk about the future for God, you would be considered a prophet foretelling the future. If you talk about right now or in the past, you are a prophet forthtelling 
what is going on. What that means is anyone that is speaking for God is operating in a prophetic way. Now, prophets in the past had an office and a title in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Isaiah, right? Elijah, Elisha, these prophets were God's point people where he communicated his truth through them and through them alone because there was such a temptation for them to be able to misuse it and abuse it because there was no way to hold them accountable because there wasn't a lot of written material. They only had, what, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They only had the Torah. They didn't have enough scripture to be able to hold them accountable so they could easily just say, thus saith the Lord, and nobody could argue with them. Because of that possibility of it going bad, God put really extreme accountability on it. In the Old Testament, if you were a false prophet, you were killed. There was no plan. In the New Testament, all those years later, thousands of years later, hundreds of years later, we see the office of prophet is still going. Agabus in the New Testament was a prophet. Philip's daughters were prophetesses. In other words, the office was still operating and moving, but this time they had a lot of other things to hold it accountable. So if it was a false prophet that was coming out and lying, they could shame them out of the church, but they didn't have to kill them. Paul said, hey, we're going to continue to hear from God and speak for God, so I want all of you to be able to be held accountable in an appropriate way, but please don't shut down hearing God and speaking for God. We do not want to stop the prophecy, obviously. Now, are there prophets today? Absolutely. The title is open, the office is open, although it's really new. The church doesn't know how to operate with the office of prophet very well. We're very, very new to that. And I'm not talking about Bridgeway, I'm talking about the church in general. But I know that people are operating prophetically all the time. But let's say you don't have the gift. Do you realize every single Christian, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, has the ability to hear from God and convey that truth? You go, well, I don't, I don't hear from God well. Hold on, do you realize that because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, he's gonna communicate from the inside out, not from the outside in. We tend to listen with our ears because we deal with the world outside of us, but God's not outside of us, he's inside of us, so he's gonna use our internal sound system. That means we have to learn the art form of listening for God through thoughts and impressions and prayers. Have you ever done that? The Bible tells us that all Christians can hear from their heavenly Father. How beautiful is that? Let's keep moving forward. We're going to talk about evangelists, all right? It says, and he gave to the church evangelists. What's an evangelist? They're the ones that share their faith and share the gospel and people receive it and their eyes are open and they become Christians. Man, we have had all kinds of cool evangelists in the past. Think about people like Philip the evangelist in the book of Acts or Paul the apostle all the way through where he would come into a brand new area and he'd fight for the kingdom of God and he'd share the gospel and people would get saved all over the place. Listen, 
We all have a job to do of sharing our faith, but when you are gifted for it, when you talk, something different happens. Something shifts in the supernatural world and people react, not just that you're talking opinion, but that you're talking truth. One of the most recent examples of a hyper-gifting of evangelism was Billy Graham. Billy Graham was not primarily a preacher. He was not primarily a discipler. He was not primarily prophetic. He was an evangelist through and through. Now, I got to tell you, you go, well, I don't know if I'm an evangelist or not. Well, you'll know as you're sharing your faith if it comes easy to you. But I've noticed that although all Christians are called to share our faith, and remember, nobody's out on that one. doesn't matter if you're gifted or not. Everybody shares their faith. There are certain people, certain personalities, certain human design that God put in that allows people to be more evangelistic than other people. Let me give you an example. I've noticed there's three types of people that tend to be better at evangelism, even though we all got to do it. Number one, there are the black and white hard-headed people. What do I mean? I mean, they're the ones that don't care how they say it, what they say. They're going to talk about Jesus at any given situation. And I'll tell you, those people freak me out and they advance the kingdom of God. I get so uncomfortable around them because that's not my personality. And yet they are able to be involved in the Holy Spirit saving people almost on a daily basis. I take my hat off to them because I don't even get them. The other people that are really great at evangelism are winsome people. They're people that everyone wants to be around. Everyone wants to hear what they say. If they're a storyteller, people are just locked on it. Those are great evangelists. The other great evangelists are the people that can't shake the idea that anyone would go to hell. They can't let it go. They don't care as much about the church. They care about the world around us. If you have that passion, it is likely that God is building you into a tremendous evangelist. Once again, whether we got the gift or not, we all do the work of an evangelist. But if you got the gift... Man, it's just easier for you, and I'm jealous. Let's go to the next one. The Bible says that God gave to us what? Shepherds. Shepherds. Shepherds is the same word for pastors, right? And you're like, oh, so like you, Pastor Lance. Well, hold on, listen. The most famous shepherds of the past were King David and Jesus. Jesus is called our good shepherd, right? God is our good shepherd. So what does that really mean? Actually, shepherds are caretakers, they're guides, they're compassionate, they're ministers, they're correctors, they correct people's nature. In other words, they get in the dirt with everybody and they start moving people around and getting everybody what they need and they guide them in life. That's what a shepherd does. You can have that title of shepherd or pastor, I have that on me. You can have the anointing for it, which means that when you do it, more people want to be under your leadership and under your care than normal. And there is just a calling where God says, I want you to minister to my people. Remember what he said to Peter. He said to Peter right before uh, he left this world, he said to the apostle Peter, he said, I want you to feed my sheep and take care of my lambs. That is a calling to pastor and to disciple and to build up. Now, whether you have the gift or not, every single person is called to guide and correct and minister and compassionately help people around you. All right, last one. It says, and he gave some to be teachers. What's a teacher? Back in the Old Testament, it was the Levites. They were the ones that were scattered throughout the nation 
to help people understand what the Bible really said. In the New Testament, we got tons of them. Modern day, we got a ton of teachers. They're the ones that know how to break things down. You'll know if you lean into teaching, if what? You can see how you got where you got. You can tell others how to get there too. You know how to break things down in a logical and winsome way. If you can do that, it is likely that God is gearing you up towards being a teacher. If you are supernaturally gifted to teach, when you teach, lives are transformed. People's minds aren't just changed, their hearts and lives are changed. But regardless, every single one of us as believers are called to what? Share the hope that lies within. We gotta tell the world who's so confused about what Christians are about. We gotta help them understand that God loves them and that he's gone to extraordinary measures to rescue them. That's our job. So as we wrap it out, I wanna say this. Let's look at those, the, those last words. It says, and he gave blank. We just covered five of them. But look at it as a blank. What about your gifting? And he gave you and how you were designed and how you were built for what reason? to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. You are designed the way you are so that we all might be blessed and we might be different. Listen to this. Different doesn't mean more or less value. It just means different. We may not be the same, but we are equally valuable in God's heart and in his mind. So just because you have been built different or designed different or called different than me doesn't make any difference in value. Listen to what I'm going to say. Different design is for a different purpose, and a different purpose is anointed for a different, with a different passion, and a different passion is infused for a different action. In other words, God made you the way he made you so you would do different things than everybody else. You are who you are because we desperately need you to be who you are and to transform the world around us. I hope that you are encouraged. I hope that you recognize that the way that God built you is beautiful. I hope you recognize that he is working through you. And even though you may want to hide back your gifting, maybe you may want to hide back because you don't have the confidence yet. I just want you to be empowered today to realize you are unique and it's beautiful. And I love how God works through you. I'm just going to close by praying over our entire time today. I would hope that you're fired up on the inside. You may not have one of these five that we just covered, but there's tons more and there's a whole bunch of them in you. So let's get out there and begin to change the world, amen? Amen. Let me just close in prayer. You ready to pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here for you. 
The reason we are on this planet, Lord, is to be in relationship with you and to give glory to your name. We're gonna keep doing that. Whatever gift and design that you've built into us, Lord, whether we can work on cars or we can do math or whether or not we know how to speak in tongues or whether or not we know how to interpret tongues or whether or not, Lord Jesus, you have given us the ability to lead and organize and administrate. It doesn't matter. Whatever you have built into us, we will use it for your kingdom. We recognize that the whole reason we have those gifts, those presents, that design, and those talents is to use it for your kingdom and for the building up of our brothers and sisters around us. Lord, may we never get tunnel vision of ourselves. May we just chase after you and bless through what you've given us. You have made us and blessed us to be a blessing out to the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have a wonderful day. So good to see you. We'll see you next weekend.